Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of Figuring Out 30 is brought to you by Esme Skin Minerals, highlighting your natural beauty with Australian-made, clean, active skincare. All right. I'm Do like, you have set questions that you're asking? Or this is going to be way more conversational. I hope we go into how we know each other. Oh, this starts with high school, bitch. <laughs> hello, hello. Welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is a podcast exploring the chaos, confusion and clarity that comes with life in our 30s, I'm Bridget Hustwaite, and on this episode, I'm taking you home to Ballarat. We are going to be hanging out with a friend from high school who also casually has over 1.6 million followers on TikTok, just casually. <laughs> Her name's Celia Gurkovich. She's an entrepreneur and a content creator, and I'll tell you more on what to expect from our conversation shortly. It was so much fun to record with Celia, but um, first, a quick little rundown of the week that was, and honestly, just one thing has really been occupying my mind and it was in the week before like in the previous episode I mentioned my mini menti b so let's just quickly flesh it out hey so I've talked about Oscar on the podcast like if you follow me on Instagram and TikTok too you'd see him there this sounds like we've broken up we haven't broken up I love that man but my heart kind of hurts for him at the moment and he won't even know I'm talking about this because he doesn't listen to the podcast (laughs) and I don't know if he'd want me talking about it but I just it's just kind of doing my head in and it's so eye-opening for me I just wish people knew more about what stuff can be like for footy players because if you didn't know he's a former AFL player he started at Melbourne his brother Tom still plays for Melbourne and then Oscar was picked up by Carlton except they delisted him at the end of last year and he's had some shitty back issues this time a year ago actually this week a year ago Oscar had a major back surgery like huge fusion procedure like screws in his back Um, the recovery is nine to 12 months so really big stuff and he's 27 so it's a pretty big thing to go through and I guess Carlton didn't want to risk him like not recovering and they had a lot of injuries last year so Oscar's essentially dealt with this recovery himself like learning to run again easing back into footy will give a massive shout out to Williamstown he plays VFL at Williamstown now like Plappy and everyone love Willie. They're not aligned with an AFL club. They're what you call a standalone club. And Oscar really enjoys playing there, um, which is, you know, we love that. He's back to playing full games, which is amazing considering how bad his back was. And there wasn't a guarantee that he could get back to playing full games, but he's played every single game this year. He's doing really well. And I don't know, he probably wouldn't admit it, but like injuries can bring a huge emotional impact like he essentially lost his job because of it last year so AFL is rough and they've just had the mid-season draft last Wednesday so that means AFL clubs can pick up new players if they've got a spot on their list and Oscar was part of that draft and there was like some interest from the Sydney Swans I just can't explain like trying to make this long story short but the mental whiplash of football and that particular experience the best way I can describe it is you apply for a job you do the meetings you do the interviews you submit all the documents except it's highly publicized and everyone knows you've gone for it everyone's talking about it and speculating it's on the news it's on the footy programs it's in the papers people predicting that you'll get it people coming up to you and saying that and having their own expectations people you don't even know right and especially if you're kind of like a reserved person and you're trying to keep it low-key like Oscar was um, and not me making it high-key now sorry Del but yeah and then the way in which you find out if you've got it is through the live stream like everyone else watching that and your life can suddenly flip if you get it like if it's an interstate club you pretty much move straight away so we you know Oscar was managing his expectations really well me 
a bit of an emotive person. I was just like, oh God, like if we move to Sydney or we'll do long distance, like naturally you think about these things because it can just change like that. I've done the long distance in Sydney before. So obviously I was thinking about it a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess it kind of prompted a few trigger points for me from my last relationship. So I was a bit anxious and a little bit insecure, but trying to support Oscar. Anyway, Sydney didn't end up picking Oscar. And the thing is like, they don't even let you know directly. They don't follow up with you and they don't say, we're not going with you. This is why, or we're not going with you. Thanks for your time. Like you don't even get that. You're essentially ghosted. I just think that is a huge problem. Like each club would be only be speaking to a small handful of players for the mid-season draft. Like how hard is it to have a 30 second conversation on the phone or shoot off an email just being like, we haven't gone with you. Thanks for your time. So witnessing this experience has been pretty brutal. And obviously he's disappointed, but he's just focusing on VFL and enjoying that. And Williamstown are doing really well. They won on the weekends. And maybe he'll have some luck at the end of the year for that draft. But me, new to all this stuff, people just don't understand the emotions that you go through. It's quite intense. And even I was kind of taken aback buy it. But anyway, that has been consuming my mind for the past month, <laughs> but it's over for now. And we are going to get into this episode now with Celia Gurkovich, who actually knows Oscar because he boarded in Ballarat, small town. But yeah, Celia is my friend from high school. I just rolled my podcast gear around to her house. She lives like five minutes away from mum and dad. And pretty much what you're going to hear is how Celia has emerged as one of Australia's most relatable content creators. Like, it's so amazing seeing Celia's journey, how transparent she's been with it too on her social platforms and her fascination with influencing. Um, we talk about our time in high school together featuring one particular subject that traumatized us <laughs> and she takes us through her multiple business ventures, how she you know, advocated for herself as a young female leader at a tech corp giant why she'll never work for the man again, and also how Celia's idea of success has changed over the years. I was, yeah, really keen to get Celia on and kind of do a more career-focused episode to just show you that it's never too late to switch lanes and break away from work that doesn't value or fulfill you. So Celia's got some awesome insights, and I really hope you like our conversation because we had plenty of giggles and shared a lot of similar feelings too. So let's get into it. It's Figuring Out 30 with Celia Gurkovich. Celia, welcome to Figuring Out 30. Thank you for having me. I'm actually so excited. And I think it's because, as I was just saying to you, like, <laughs> how we met and how we became kind of friends in high school, considering yeah. you're a year older than me. Well, yeah. Well, I'm. we're the same age, but I was pushed yeah. into school a year earlier. Yeah. Let's get into how we know each other because, yeah, I think it'd be interesting. I wonder if there's like a, a there's maybe a tiny Venn diagram out there because you have like 1.5 million followers on TikTok. You've got a solid platform on Instagram as well and YouTube. And then maybe there's like one person out there who like follows me and follows you and maybe isn't from Ballarat and is like, how do they know how? each other? <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. <laughs> I haven't thought of it like that. Yeah. So we went to high school together. Yeah. Um, we most notably had <laughs> biology. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the biggest joke because <laughs> let's go straight into the trauma. Let's <laughs> Literally. Okay. Let's unpack that. <laughs> I don't know what came over me and decided to do three, four biology in year 11 yeah. without doing one, two in year 10. <laughs> I also, the only reason that I did biology is because, you know, when they start making you think about like your future pathways and everything. I know what you're going to say, but keep going. <laughs> I hope you know where this is going. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And then I was like, maybe marine biology. Like, yeah. so I'm gonna oh, that's do right. You were like marine biology. Bridge, all I wanted to do was swim with dolphins. <laughs> yeah. I could do like a $150 like course down in Queenscliff yeah. and swim with dolphins. I didn't need to do marine biology. And my results were evident in that. Like I did not need to be doing these subjects that I absolutely hated to the point where when we did biology together, when I was in year 11 and you're year 12, I redid it in year 12 and my results got worse. It's like, you. <laughs> and then I dropped it completely. I should have been... I should have gone with the whole like do what you think you'd enjoy yes. in school. I really should have done that. But they don't teach that. that. No. And yeah. I think as well, I actually don't know if biology ended up being a subject that they mark up, but I kind of angled for some subjects that would mark up, but they were just hell to do. Oh, God. But I didn't <laughs> realise you – or maybe I, some, maybe I just suppressed it because biology really like was yeah, fucking my traumatic. God. I literally <laughs> felt like I was learning a different language. <laughs> yeah. 
I remember sitting sometimes. It was you, me, and Crossy sitting in classes. And Luke Farquhar, yeah, yeah. And I just remember looking at the board, being like, "This is gibberish." <laughs> like, I felt so. I remember Mrs. Baird, like she was so lovely and so passionate about biology, and I was like, "What the fuck am I doing?" I here? know. <laughs> I remember. I'm pretty sure my study score was 27, and oh, if that was with marking up too, oh, like God. I literally just scraped <laughs> in there. My enter was like the biggest joke. Like I was actually telling this story the other night. I, in my head, because I didn't need an enter. By year 12, I'd found the TAFE course that I wanted to do that I found <laughs> out I got in mid-year. And I, in my I don't know why, but I was just adamant I'd get a 63. I didn't need it for anything, yeah. but I just thought, I've got a 63 ATAR. It was, it was enter back then. Yeah, it was enter yeah. back then, yeah. Um, and I remember when all the results were coming out and people were getting the text messages and, like, mum was a teacher and mum was really on my case about find out your score. And I was like, I don't want to know, like, but I'd, I'd, I'd fully like gaslighted myself into telling me that you've got a 63, it's fine. Like you don't need it for anything, but like 63 is like you're above average. <laughs> and I remember going to the computer one night when like everyone was busy. Like I have three younger sisters, like they were busy. Mum was busy. I was like, I don't want anyone coming in being like, what'd you get? What'd you get? Yeah. And I remember clicking on this screen and like 47 kept showing up and I was like, fuck's this like <laughs> something wrong with the computer then I was like oh my god I got a 47 which made total sense because I left my chemistry and my methods exam your subject a fucking disgusting why did I do this to myself like oh my when I look back after from that moment on I was like I'm never doing anything that I don't actually enjoy and then that's the TAFE course so yeah. that was so much fun I had a recurring dream for a while that I uh <laughs> had to go back to do year 12 in my current occupation. Oh, no. Um, it was actually when I was still at Triple J. So I the dream was like I would have to come back to Ballarat and do year 12 and then I would be like, I've got to go do my radio show. Oh, no. And the rule was like if you get a higher ATAR than what you got in year 12 – you keep the higher one. If you got a lower one, <laughs> you just keep the one from 20, 2008. I'm like, I'll keep that one. Yeah. It's so irrelevant no. to my life right now. That's so weird you say that. I have reoccurring dreams too of methods. Like <sighs> I'm like, why do I love you? I actually genuinely used to love school and like the academic side of school until like year 10. Yeah. And that's when underaging drinking came in and I was like, the brain cells, <laughs> they're, like, they're out. They're <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but also not picking subjects that I actually enjoyed was probably the biggest so takeaway. if you could go back, what subjects? Subjects would you pick because you're and it's funny we both work in creative mm. media industries um and your subjects are a really poor reflection Such, like so <laughs> what, would you, me. what would you do but also I don't think back in school I saw myself as being creative like it was I was never encouraged no god no and like I hated art. Like I hated all of that. I remember doing like a textiles class. I was good at cooking. Like I love the cooking classes <laughs> and I played a lot of sports. So I probably would have done like outdoor ed and yeah. like foundation mass. Like I just would have, should have kept it simple and like actually enjoyed it instead of stressing the fuck out at school. Yeah. Like, I-, I remember coming in one day and we'd, we were getting our results for like a math, like method sack or something. Yeah. And we were getting it that day. And I think it was my first class. And I was like, I'm just going to bite the bullet. I went into the teacher's office and I was like, can you just tell me what I got? He told me I did awful. And I was like, I'm out of here. So yeah. I left for the day. I was like, I'm going <laughs> And I was like, no. But I loved school for like the social side and like yeah. the friendships made. And yeah. yeah. Where did you work during high school? Did you have a, like a little yep. casual job? My first ever job was at a supermarket, okay. at Maxi Foods, yep. which was, Yeah interesting (laughs) and then I got a job at a jeweler's I think oh no I then I was at fun bugs like the indoor place and no this is why I probably don't don't have kids I I take that back I used to do because I went to Sturt Street Maccas and I used to do the parties and I was the first um party host to put a kid in time out because that he threw a shoe at me (laughs) did you have to dress up though because we had to dress up like and it was kind of fun though I had two of my high school friends that also got jobs there so on Saturdays we'd all be dressed up in these like ridiculous outfits but it was just like a running joke. And then after that, I got a job at a jeweler's again, just had no idea. Like people would come in and be like, oh, I'm going to propose to my partner. And I'd be like, congrats, I guess. Like, <laughs> I was just cool. so awkward. I just had no idea. And then it got me in the next job was IBM when I was studying. So it just sort of worked around everything. And then, yeah. yeah. So growing up, what did you have envisioned for yourself by the time you would be turning 30? So marine biologist, Mm. no No, kids? Like I never, like 
this is the thing. I've never been someone to envision like my wedding or like a career or yeah, anything. Right. Like, and I remember that in school, like when it came to picking your subjects, <laughs> I put down marine biology, but then I found out the TAFE got, I remember sitting in that office with that B, is it the VTAC book or something? Like, yeah. And closing my eyes and just flipping open to a page, being like, I'm going to be a whatever. <laughs> Do you want, okay, so I wanted to be a dietitian and it was oh. based on watching Super Size Me <laughs> uh, on holidays in Burley Heads in Year 9. Oh, no. And the nutritionist dietitian's name was Bridget in uh, the film. So I was son. like, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I literally remember flicking that book open and then I found this TAFE course that just sounded surreal. It was like, so this was at William Anglis. It was a resort management water recreation and you got to pick a different like stream and I picked the water rec which was like sailing and kayaking and snorkeling and an industry tour to the Wit Sundays and I was like I'm sold like yeah. I'm done and it was the best I think that's also where my business mind started to click because okay. it was only a two-year course and in the second year we um we had to like build like pretend to start a business and like go through all the process of registering a business getting insurance like all these different steps. And I referred back to that when I started my first business, my eyelash extension mm. business. So I think that kind of something clicked in my brain. So side note, did you do business management at high school? No. No, right. No. I no. see that's a subject I wish I did. I wish I had that too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's so interesting how it clicked in. So I guess uh, heading into 30, um, yeah. you're about to turn the the big three O. What was going on in your life and, and how did you feel about entering that new decade? It's honestly so weird because I feel like COVID really took that away. Yeah. Like I used to have, like, I remember I had a big 2-6 birthday party and then I had a big 2-7 and then I think 28, 29 and 30 were all taken by COVID and all of a sudden I was 30 and I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> how am I 30? But I never had any expectations of like, I want to have kids by a certain day. I don't even think I want kids. Like yeah. Buds and I have this conversation often. Like we don't actually think we want kids. And I love the kids in my life, but I'm like, I don't think it's. You're funny. an auntie. Yeah. I love, and well, I love being an auntie too. Like, oh my God. You can take have them fun. when you want them. See, See ya. hundred <laughs> percent. But no, I never, I, I don't feel 30. Mm. I think that, am I 31? I think I'm 31. I'm 32. So would you I'm be 30? I think I'm turning 32 this year. So I'm 30. I think I'm like, <laughs> this is the thing. I, I feel like I ask my friends this all the time. I'm like, how You're old 91. do you feel? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I'm like 20, 26. Yes, I am. That's how I feel. Yeah. I do not feel like I should be allowed to be 30. Well, it's probably that age because that's when things stopped. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That makes so much sense. And just a lot happened. Like, during those few years of like lockdowns and everything, like my life completely changed. And I don't know if we're going to get into that, but like 2019, like New Year's Eve on in December 2019, I finished my full-time job at IBM. Like we all got made redundant. We had seven months notice. I was traveling back and forth to India. I was doing balloons on the weekend. I was doing lash clients after work. And then 2020 was my big year of like working for myself, which I was like so stoked and so ready for. And then... COVID happened mm. and I was like um what yeah <laughs> now what what do you mean yeah <laughs> these businesses that I thought were like and we had our busiest months ever on record for the balloon business booked in and like Buds and I went to Bali in Feb 2020 and I remember mum talking about like oh maybe you should wear a mask and I was like masks are for losers like, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask like this is before all of that yeah and we got back and I think within like a couple of days um, that's when the lockdowns were like announced and every single booking we had gone. Oh canceled. my gosh. Mm. It kind of worked out. Okay. Like, I don't know. Were you because, freaking out though? Yes and no. No, because weirdly, this is why I think everything happens for a reason. I don't know what came over me, but six months prior to this, I was like, you know what? Nothing bad had happened, but in the balloon business, I was like, let's make people pay us a 50% non-refundable deposit, which they can reuse at any point. So we'd brought that in at like the perfect time yeah. because when we cancel and it's very like vocalized to our customers at the time, I don't have the business anymore as well. So, um, did you have any customers be like, I want it? Only back? one. Okay. And, but that was One's valid. Good. She was from Geelong. Yeah. So we had an install in Geelong. So that was perfectly fine. Everyone else was fine. And a lot of them were for engagement parties, which ended up 
them reusing the deposit they paid for a baby shower. Yeah. So yeah. everyone skipped the engagement party, skipped yeah, the wedding. Straight to the babies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what drew you to um, the balloon business? Was that something you were already thinking of whilst you were at IBM? I, I started it... at IBM. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So while I was working full time in the corporate world, mm-hmm. I needed – I've always been excited about business. Like starting my own businesses is something that I've just loved – um, the first business I started was when I was 21 and I started the Lash business. Yep. And then I had a, I don't know if you remember the My Monthly Period parcels. Yes. Yeah, because I think I sent you one, yep. didn't I? Yep. And then I had like a drop shipping website. I was like really, when I was at IBM, I would spend the majority of my time with like a YouTube video playing in the background and my heads, headphones and listening to how people were making money online and like learning all these different things, which I think is how I've been able to get to where I am now in a very short amount of time. Mm. What was the account at IBM? So I worked in um, – I had a stint there, but then that part went to Concentrix. I was yep. on the Holden uh, customer uh, care. Oh, right, yep. Ugh. Yeah, my God. <laughs> me. A lot of people had really interesting <laughs> experiences at IBM. I was very lucky in my last role. So we worked on – I don't know if I should say but like we were with a Telstra client, yep. um, like telecommunications, and we – it wasn't like customer service. We were like a service center. So we worked for the Telstra employees, like the oh, field staff. Nice. You didn't have to deal with customers. No. So I had to deal with people's holdings breaking. Yeah, no, <laughs> we dealt with, and it was great. Like I really loved, I loved the Telstra. They were like blokes out in the field that are working in their utes and like you could have a, like a laugh with them. Yeah. I also... I got to work with a lot of different departments and stuff too. My leadership was where I really didn't like and where we had you lots went of... To, didn't you go to India for multiple IBM? Times. Yeah. 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 Back and forth. Yeah. I think over three trips, it was like 14 weeks or something wow. in total. It was insane. It was... And I'm so an grateful for it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it also opened my eyes into like just corporate life and how it's just... It's all money and it's all... Yeah, I just did it. I just didn't align with it. But I knew that. Like I knew from when I started my business at 21 doing lashes. I have a very warped perception of money because of that though. Like I think at 21 being able to earn $80 for like an hour and a half of work, I was like, I'm never working for the man ever again. <laughs> and then I got a corporate job because I was like the lash boom happened here. So um yeah, I feel like I've derailed your question. But uh, what was it? I can't remember. No. <laughs> I can't um, remember what I was asking. But um, when you mentioned leadership, yeah. so you were in a leadership capacity at IBM. Yeah. What didn't you? This is actually such a good story Yeah, if we've got time. Go on. So I was a team leader and I had a manager above me and we got along great and we were based in Ballarat, but all of our senior leadership were all across the country in different places. And something that I just hated was that like, decisions were made above you without including you yet your team's the one directly affected like I used to hate that and it used to drive me insane anyway my manager ended up leaving um I'd wanted a pay rise for a while but like it just wasn't happening and I was like well I'm gonna wait for her to leave gonna wait for her however many weeks she had to give and then I've got leverage because senior leadership aren't here we've got a team of 32 staff like I think I was I must have been 26 27 at the time and I was like leading a team of 32 of all different ages all different like employment statuses like full-time casuals all that um and I also like my manager that I had was so great like she told me what she was on and what she was offered to stay and then when she left and they offered me her position it wasn't even offered it was like congrats Celia like you'll be the manager and I was like Um. hold up (laughs) what what am I getting like what's my pay rise and they're like oh like we'll just we'll figure that out later and I was like hell no I was like I'm not this is my turning point um long story short I um, resigned. I ended up getting, I resigned, gave my four weeks notice. I ended up getting a 33% pay increase two days before I was due to leave. Really? Yeah. And that wasn't from my management that was other managers had come down to Ballarat to, for me to do handover to. And I remember it so clearly, like we were brought into a room. It was me, these two managers who I got along with great, a team leader within my team who reported into me. And I was running them through all this reporting. They're like, why are you leaving? Like, you're so good. Your team loves you. Like, it's like, why would you leave? And I was like, I'm not leaving because I hate my job. I was like, I love my job. I love the client, love my team. 
But I was like, no one knows what I do. No one, no one values all this information mm. I have. I'm young. Like I get that. Like I'm dealing with these men in their like mid fifties who are on the verge of retirement that have no idea what I do. So do you think that's, that was the perception because you were young, they didn't take 100%. you half as seriously 100%. as what you should And like, I was always seen as like the second in charge because I was a team leader, but like my manager was older than me too. Like it, I was just, I know that's what it was. And like, I had went to them and said, like, this is what I want to be earning. And they're like, it's not going to happen. And I was like, I'm not asking for anything. Like, I've gone into seek. I've seen what people are getting in other other areas. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, got a great pay rise. And then um, just continued to resign every time I wanted something. And it all worked out. <laughs> so like, how long did that go on for? So I think I was in the manager position for, like, maybe three years mm-hmm. before the – yeah, three years, probably the full, or maybe two years. Um, but then that's when they would announce the we're offshoring part of the workload. Oh. And I was like, again, a point of leverage. Yeah. Because no manager had ever had the time, because people just got moved around so much. No manager had ever had the time to come back to Ballarat. We're a tiny little regional town. Yeah. They're all in these big cities. Um, they'd never come in to learn about us. So I was like, well, if I leave, then what? Like the people below me didn't have the experience I'd had from being a team leader from the get-go. Mm. So, yeah, every time I saw <laughs> – and this is so bad and this is not how the corporate world should work but, like, it's how the corporate world works. Like you're only, I feel, well, that's how it was for me, valued until you resign. Oh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, my job wasn't corporate but yeah. I can totally speak to that and yeah. know, partially as to why I left. Yeah. Um. So you wouldn't go back into the corporate world? No. Ever? No, I I would if I was working for myself. Yeah. Like I would if I was, there's things that I want to work on that I'm like, I could build out a big team for this, but it, yeah, it wouldn't be the corporate dynamic of things mm. at all. I you don't know, think. I had a, um, a, a tarot card reading and Ooh. it was at the start of last year. And yeah, the chick was like talking about work and she was, oh, what did she say? It was a very, like the line just really stuck out. She's like, they don't want to lose you, but they're doing nothing to keep you. 100%. And I was like, fucking oath. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Literally. And so that's what would so happen. Many like people with, yeah, that's their experience. Yeah. Anytime that I saw a point of leverage, for example, when my like senior, senior leadership had come to Ballarat and like when I ended up taking on the managerial role and got that ridiculous pay increase, I was like, well, things are changing. Like I'll stay, but I'm like, I want this, this and this. And it wasn't for me. It was like full-time positions within my team to like create more stability and like Mm. make sure that we could continue on. Um, And then when we had, when they'd come to me around discussions of, oh, we're going to offshore this work and do that. And I was like, well, I know that you need my help. So what's in it for me? And then, yeah, lump sum retentions were just thrown around. I was like, this money can just be pulled from literally thin air. Yeah. It's funny that it can, yeah, it takes for you to say that Mm. you're going to leave. And it's like, was there the whole time? That was my experience, like with my contract last year. And um, they were like, we'll give you what you asked for. And I was like, shouldn't have got to this point. And I'm at the point where I'm not, like I've I've mentally and emotionally, I've I've quit. Like I'm not going to flip on my decision. That was literally, so I had given my four weeks notice my team had organised a present for me and everything. It was two <laughs> days till I was about to leave. We are having like a big morning tea and everything. So, so wait, what happened with us? So <laughs> senior leadership came down and they were like, I think my whole team was like thinking this was like my big goodbye and they were like, Silly is staying. <laughs> and I remember the looks on people's faces being like, what the fuck is she doing? Did you like, get the present? No, I think they I think they hadn't bought the present. They just got the money. money in so they gave money back or whatever. But I what remember the cake. I think we might have still had like a morning tea. Yeah. I don't think it was like it must still have been the day before. <laughs> Which is then awkward in itself because everyone would have known me like, what have they done to make her stay? Yeah. Money. Like, but they wouldn't have felt weird about it, right? I don't think so. I think because a lot of the team, like granted, I had a really great team. Mm-hmm. Like I would say 95% of my team were phenomenal and like if I ever had a corporate job again, I would hire a majority of them again if they ever wanted work. Yeah. Um, so I think they were stoked because it gave a bit more stability too. And I think with you, you've always been very transparent Mm. and even, you know, stepping out of the work for a moment. So you had the IBM stint, you've had five businesses now, right? Yeah. Yep. Maybe more. Most recently stepping into like the social media world. Mm. I remember very vividly when you were jumping on your Instagram stories and stuff, you've always been really transparent. I love following your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but very transparent about like, 
I want to earn money on YouTube. I want mm. YouTube to be an income stream. Mm. I want this amount of followers talking people through it, but you were always very transparent about yeah. that. Like in terms of your influencing, nothing comes off as um, not genuine because from the get-go, like where did you get that from? Like how did that happen? Because a genuine interest to me. I'm like yeah. I am so – I've always been so interested in like the influencer content creator world and like – So what? who were you following? Who were, who um, made you intrigued? I feel like I used to watch like Shani Grimmin, Michael Finch, like all of them, but I also just used to – aimlessly scroll on Instagram and see like sponsored posts or like people were promoting things and And I just found it so interesting. So you were looking at it as not so much like that looks so luxurious and were you just like how like more so the logistics behind it, the business side? I think there was the business aspect to it, like the income side of it. But Mm -hmm. I think for me when I started my business, I was like I don't want to work a nine to five for the rest of my life. Like Mm. I think our generation too is very lucky that like the internet can create jobs and you can create work for yourself where you don't have to exchange exchange your time for money. Like that was the biggest thing that was of interest to me. And because I had my previous businesses, so one of the businesses that I had, the My Monthly Period Parcel business, I reached out to a lot of influencers and got their rates and was just, I remember opening emails being like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> I have to like – this is what they're earning from doing these like videos. I was like, this sounds like so much fun. And like this lifestyle, that's what really appealed to me. I was like, I want to be able to do more of the things that I enjoy instead of having to wait till the weekend to do them or after work. Mm. Like I just, I think that was the big thing for me is I didn't want to have to continue to exchange my time for my money. I wanted money to work around the clock sort of thing Mm -hmm. or like be able to earn more doing less. And have a work-life balance. Yeah. Did you not have that? Did you feel like you didn't have that in the corporate? God, no. And yeah. I think that's probably my own fault though because I had so many side hustles. So like what my weeks used to work like, look like at its peak is I would do my, I think it was 8.30 to 4.30 at IBM. I would have a lash client at five. I would finish lashes probably 8.30 or nine, depending on how many clients I would do. And then I started the balloon business. So then my weekends were Saturday, Sunday doing balloons. And it was hell. like, it was insane. <laughs> and I did this for so many years. And We're then- happy. We're going to get back into this conversation with Celia Gurkovich in just one moment. But first, a quick shout out to today's sponsor. It's been a big year of change for me, but one thing that remains a consistent and non-negotiable part of my routine is my skincare. And Esme Skin Minerals can help you unlock your skin's potential with their huge range of vegan and cruelty-free products that are made right here in Australia. From hormonal and sensitivity concerns to fine lines or aging, Esme has something to support everyone's skin journey. And you can even chat to one of their qualified skin consultants online or free to find your perfect match. For me, it's all about a fresh, hydrating glow. And the Esme team have helped me achieve this, particularly with the Uncomplicated Cleanser, which feels so beautiful on the skin and it doesn't strip the natural oils while cleansing. Plus, I'm loving the Detox Hydrofluid, which is an amazing lightweight moisturizing option that leaves my skin feeling super smooth and soft. Whether you're looking to incorporate one new product into an existing routine or start fresh, you are bound to find something within the huge Esme range. So go check them out in the show notes of this episode. Plus, use my code Bridget20 for 20% off site-wide until June 20. Please note some exclusions apply and this cannot be used in conjunction with other offers. Thank you so much to Esme Skin Minerals for making this episode of Figuring Out 30 possible. I think I was because like I I think I I think I've learned that like uh, money brings me happiness not in the sense that I'm buying like stupid things but I just get this sense of like excitement of like uh, seeing something seeing an idea come to life that I've had that I haven't had any help with and I can just start a business and be like let's see how this goes yeah. and not all of them have been successful like Lashes was really successful. Lashes taught me and every business has taught me different things. Like Lashes taught me about social media and how you can use that to like build a following and like get clients in the door. The My Monthly business taught me about like influencing and like profit margins because that didn't work out. 
but like I would never ever see it as a failure because I learned so much from yeah, it. Yeah, it's a lesson. And then like the drop shipping, that e-commerce stuff taught me about Shopify and how to build a website and like how to like pack orders and all that. Why am I like as soon as you started talking about this Thank You Next by Ariana, I've got in my head <laughs> yeah, like one that's time how it in was. love, one time <laughs> me patience. <laughs> it's like you and your little business like thank yeah. you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. But yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, then the balloon business was just – I just felt like I needed a creative outlet and I just saw a big gap in the Ballarat market. Like I saw these people that had followings on social media posting their kids' birthday parties about like big balloon installs. And I was like, wait, no one's doing that in Ballarat. Mm. Why is no one doing that in Ballarat? Um, So then we just tapped into this like crazy unsaturated. And when I say we, I mean me. Like I was a one-man show doing this and – it just what I thought would be a couple of hours on a Saturday morning turned into eight to ten hours on Saturdays and sometimes Sundays and sometimes Fridays. Like yeah. it just, yeah. So and having your own like office space and then a little team and your well, and I didn't have that at the start. Like no. I started the business from home and yeah. very quickly, like it got to the point where the amount of confetti and balloons in my house every Physically weekend, I was impossible. like, I'm over this. Like, I'm so <laughs> over this. And we were very lucky. We found an office space, which was amazing. So. Yeah. So mm. how has your idea of success changed over the years? Like how would you yeah. have defined it perhaps at IBM as opposed to how you define it now? What's the evolution of that definition for you? Oh, that's a good question. I think at IBM it was like climbing the ladder. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's probably – but I never saw it like that to me. It probably came back to the money side of things. Like, And it wasn't like being money hungry. It was like I just want to get to a point where I feel like I'm earning the right amount for what I'm doing. Yeah, so that it's was valuing probably, your worth. Yeah, yeah, there was that. And then in my businesses the success side of things was just seeing a flourishing business where like even when we sold the balloon business I was like – I was really at a crossroads with it. I had planned on my original plan and I hope I don't go off track doing this. No, it's good. Yeah. So why, why did you sell it? So when I finished at my job in 2019 and 2020 was my big year of working in my businesses. Um, my plan was, was to build up the balloon business, which was already on track already. Like we had crazy months um, of bookings and then would look to sell it mid 2020. Obviously the pandemic had other yeah. ideas. <laughs> so then 2020, 2021 was just sort of keeping our head afloat. I think by 20, by February, 2022, we were sort of back to what we were pre-COVID in the sense that people were booking things in months in advance. Um, it wasn't, we could sort of forecast, I guess. Mm. Whereas during the pandemic, we would be at our lockdown for two weeks and you might get a quick few bookings and then you'd have a heap of bookings that had to get canceled. Yeah. Um, and so I knew when I decided, so yeah, 2020, 2022, sorry, was when it started to really pick back up. And by this stage, I had a following on social media. I was doing stuff that I really enjoyed. I was able to, able to like just work on things that I actually wanted to do mm. and I could work less and have, that, that, there's a lot to unpack with that too anyway. But um, I was like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to burn out again yeah. because I always felt like I was on the brink of burnout when I worked full time and had all my side hustles and yeah. like was always on the brink of burnout, but I would cater for that by going on a quick holiday and then come back and be like, oh, straight back into it. Yeah. Whereas when the pandemic happened, went on a quick holiday, came back and then was like, wait, now I can't work because whatever. Um, so when we decided to sell the business, I had also considered just closing it and being like, you know what, close this chapter, it's done, whatever. And then I was like, it's actually such a good business. Mm-hmm. Like, we did barely – we don't have to do barely any marketing. Like we've got such a – we had such a great brand name mm-hmm. and the girls that have it now still do. Um, and you didn't have to do much and you'd had messages coming in for people wanting to pay hundreds of dollars for installs. So I was like that to me was success for mm. that business. And that was felt very early on though, like even pre-pandemic, like when we first launched, I couldn't believe that all of a sudden I could be earning almost what I would earn for two weeks of work at my full-time job – in a weekend. Yep. So like, it was just, it was crazy and very proud. Like I, when I sold, was deciding to sell the business, I was like, can we actually do this? And then when we found like the perfect people to sell it to who had just like, yeah, like, and I think to be honest, this is where I think everything happens for a reason. Like the, the handover that I did in India for IBM, I feel like really came in handy for like, all right, what do we need to make this as smooth as possible yeah. for this hand transition? Mm. Yeah, it's just less and less and less. Yeah, literally. Yeah. So now, um, yeah, so okay, now what is t- today's definition mm. of success, Vasilia? That is still, I feel like I'm still figuring, figuring out. that out because like 
I know for myself, and I don't think it's a great trait, but I know I'm very driven by money. Like I, I just am. Like I find it really exciting and like it still blows my mind when there's brands in my inbox being like, we want to work with you. And I'm like, what? Why? Like, <laughs> it's, like I love it. Like it's so cool. But I think the success thing for me, and I'm still learning it, is that I can work less and I can still earn a decent amount of income. Yep. Like my goal all along when I started – my social media thing like I wanted to do YouTube like YouTube was my plan I was like I want to get monetized even if it's a couple of hundred dollars a month that would be great I actually haven't hit that on YouTube but that's because like when I started on YouTube my goal was to get monetized and I'd heard so many people talking about TikTok and how it's this undersaturated platform and like Gary Vee and all that sort of stuff and I was like, I'll try TikTok. Like I was sitting at home. I'd moved into the boy's house. It was a mess. So I was like spending my days doing time-lapse cleaning videos. And I remember like the first TikTok account I created was just like a cleaning one. Like it was like. So that was your first upload? Yeah. But it was like not under my name. Like I started a whole profile, like a separate oh. profile thing. And I remember going to sleep one night and then waking up and the video had like hundreds of thousands of views. And I was like, what? Like <laughs> maybe, maybe it had got to 100,000 views. And I was like wait, this is unsaturated. Like my account's growing. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm making a personal brand. I'm going to tie it into my YouTube. So my plan was, was to start a TikTok, funnel the traffic of people that were interested in me and what I was doing into my YouTube videos so that I could hit the monetization requirements on YouTube and start earning money. Very quickly, my TikTok just like blew up. Like, but it wasn't, it, I wouldn't say very quickly, but it just... I just love the process of it. It wasn't like I was seeing seeing the future of it as like a money thing in a sense. It was more that I was like, I'm loving doing this. Mm. And I can, there were some days during lockdowns where I would post 15 videos on TikTok and not even realize I'd done it. Like mm. it was just something that filled in the time for me and like distracted me from like the chaos that was going on around yeah. everything. Yeah. So I guess when it comes back to the success side of things for the TikTok stuff and like social media, I am really still trying to learn that I don't need to be in hustle mode all the time. Yeah. That is killing me. Like this has been something that I've been working on for like probably the last two years where I can't. Are you guilty of toxic productivity? Yes, I am. I find myself sitting at my laptop doing absolutely nothing, being like, you don't need to be here. Yeah. you don't, go, go outside and make a video. Like you don't even have to do that. It's just like go and do all these, the amount of times I've written down a list of like things I enjoy doing outside of work, like baking something, mowing the lawns, like silly things like this that I'm like, you like doing this, go and do more of it instead of sitting down trying to work. Do you feel bad just sitting still yes. and not doing anything? Yeah. You feel bad just watching TV or yeah. something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I have recently been like, you're having a TV day. Yeah. Like just sit down and watch TV for the day. I guess if you can trick your brain into like penciling it in like mm. it's a task or an appointment yeah. almost, it might make it easier for you because you're so wired like that. Literally, <laughs> the weirdest thing is every time that I give myself the space to just like chill out, like I don't go to the day spa often, but both times that I've gone to the Ballarat day spa, I'll go there and I'm like having a just, I'm just having a silly day where I don't have to do anything, no work, don't look at your laptop, don't look at your emails or anything. I will finish that session and an email will come through for a big brand deal. And I'm like, it's like the universe is rewarding. Yeah, I swear to God, every time, down. yeah, every time this happens and I notice it, I'm like, I need to just chill out more, yeah. but it's very hard. And I think because I've been go, go, go for so long, like from working full time, having an after hours job, like doing the lashes and then balloons on weekend, like seven days a week, nonstop. I think also the culture that we see on TikTok as well of being mm. your own boss, being your own CEO. And like, there are real extremes. Like if you go down that rabbit hole, there are real extremes of people, you know, doing the wake up at 4am and oh. doing everything and really yeah. glamorizing that. Mm. So like, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. I've tapped out of the whole hustle culture stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I'm done with that. And I do I do see business ideas. I get business ideas all the time popping into my head and there's things that I I can weigh it up very quickly being like, would that actually be worth my time or no? Um, but it's so hard. It's genuinely so hard to switch off. And I think any business owner goes through this and COVID was probably like a big eye opener for a lot of them, especially in the beauty industry. Mm. Like you're, you have to exchange your time for things and it's so, it's just like so mentally draining. Like so mentally draining. Mm. So that's something I'm still learning is to how to, how to just be okay with the unknown because the influencing side of things, as we spoke about before we jumped on the podcast, like 
I think a lot of people look at it and you see people on like comment threads talking about like, oh, they get sent all this free shit and they're getting paid thousands of dollars for like making a video. If it's that easy, you do it. Yeah. It's yeah. not that easy. It's like, not. And for me to be able to step into it post ABC where you couldn't do any brand endorsements, yeah. it's been so eye-opening. It's very time-consuming. It's very strategic. And it on, there's honestly an art to making it look effortless. Oh, my God. People don't think about that. It's not easy. My, but people can make it look easy and that's why you're going to buy the fucking product yeah. and watch the video. Yeah. Like, because it's easy for you. Like, and that's the thing, people say, you see the videos. So like followers see your videos you're uploading and they think, oh, that looks fun. Like she's going and she's doing this or whatever. You don't see the back and forth absolute shit show of emails. Emails, the logistics, negotiating, yeah. admin. Admin, chasing invoices. Like, but even like the admin of like getting a brand deal, like some mm. of them, are, some of them are easy. You know what? Some of them are very like, hey, Silly, we want you to do this. Would you be interested? I think it's really cool. I do want to do it. Here's my rates. Accepted, done. Like, that does happen. And it's also when you when you do accept a brand, it is also finding, ensuring that they align with your morals and yes. values and align with your brand, Yes, which people wouldn't think about when they're watching. But that's what a successful partnership is. If, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've done your Rocky Road like yeah. videos, you've just put up paid partnership with Cadbury or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. I and wish. That, <laughs> yeah. um, goals that you're even on their PR list. Yeah. Like, no, it is up. so exciting. So exciting. This is the thing. I love getting mail that's not bills. So yeah. like whenever I get something in my PO box, I'm like, yes, this is great. But again, I've seen people and this is where I think being older and being in this industry is the biggest blessing. And also probably like my previous business background is that I've seen influencers that are up and coming and blow up that they talk about getting a PO box and they get sent heaps of this stuff. Then they get slammed online because like all these businesses sent them these things and they haven't made videos for it. When I first started, I had a PO box, but, and I would do a few unboxings here and there and mention that I have it. But I was like, I don't send me stuff unless you think I'm actually going to like it. Cause I'm not going to make videos for things that I don't like. Like the amount of times you get sent scrunchies and candles and like all these things. And I'm like, I've got, I don't, I don't, I don't burn a lot of candles at home. Like I'm not going to just make these videos for that. So it is very figuring out like what you're comfortable with posting and then, but also thinking of the repercussions of everything that you're posting. Well, that's the thing. Like, and it's also, again, valuing your work. If you, you're not actually obliged to post everything that you're gifted. No. Like that's why there's a difference between gifted sponsor content slash paid partnership. Mm -hmm. Like if you're gifted something, yeah, you don't like and yeah. you don't put a money value on like I'll do a grid post or a reel. Yeah. Like people charge good money for reels. Oh like, yeah, and like TikTok. Like it's <clears throat> yeah. But see, I think I learned this too when I had my my monthly period parcel business. I was sending out so I would message an influencers that I, I couldn't pay their rates. Like I was like 26, like but my business was bringing in barely any money, but I was like I love the concept of this and I want to get it out there. So I would message influencers and I tell this to friends that have like small businesses. Like if you want to get in front of people, what you should do is like reach out to the person who you think directly aligns with your business, like an influencer, content creator, whatever, and just say, hey, we love your stuff. We'd love to send you something. No, no need to post. We just want to send it to you. Like the reverse psychology of that, when someone does that to me, and I hope like this doesn't get out and I end up with all these parcels, but when some, when a brand does that to me, I'm like, that is actually so nice. Like you're not putting any pressure on me. There's no like follow-up being like the parcel's being delivered. Have you got it? I think it was a podcast or something about the triangle. Remember, do you remember in school, the triangle swimwear? Oh yeah. And what they did. Wait, to- what did they do? So this was really interesting. So they wanted to get it onto a Kardashian or like a Jenna and they wanted to get Kendall Jenner to be wearing this like triangle bikini. So instead of sending it to her, they sent it to all of her friends as like a, like a just like we're sending this to you. You might like it, you might not just, we're sending, no, no need to post anything. They sent it to all of her friendship group. And then Kendall Jenner reached out to them being like, my friends are all wearing these bathers, like, I want them. I didn't know that. I know. I was like, well that is played. It's so well played. Like I watched that, po- I think it was a podcast or maybe it was like a clip on TikTok or something from a podcast, but I was like, that's so interesting. Um, but yeah, that's just, if you've got a small business and you want to get in front of an influencer, don't, don't. The other thing that I hate is like, <laughs> I get emails all the time, predominantly at skincare businesses. I don't know why. And they're like, we would love to send you this like skincare miracle cream and then exchange it for a video. I'm like, okay, one. And I, and this, I know this is very privileged to say, and like, it sounds so stupid, but like this $59 product that you're trying to give me in exchange for what I usually charge for a TikTok is 
that does the ma- the math ain't mathin. Like, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not. This is not how this works. Like it, I understand and I appreciate your hustle, but like if you had to go around this differently, it might have worked out different for I you. I know I may have crumbled at math at methods. <laughs> methods but wasn't my strongest, but the but math ain't mathin. <laughs> Oh my God. That happens all the time. And I'm like, I do. I really appreciate the hustle because like I was in this, like for so many years trying to get products to like big influencers. And this happened to me. So with the, my monthly business, I sent it to Shani Grimmond. Do you follow her? No, but I know she's huge. Yeah. Yeah, She's huge. And I remember so many, I I must've been doing lashes or something. And someone messaged me. Oh, I had multiple messages on my Instagram being like, Shani Grimmond's posted your period parcels. Like, how did, how did you do that? And I was like, Literally what I said before, I sent her a message being like, hey, would love to send this to you. Oh, actually, I don't even think I even messaged her. I think I just, she had her PO box number in her Instagram bio. So I just sent it to her and like wrote a nice letter being like, no need to post, like for followed you for years, which I had. And I yep. was like, very genuine. I think she'd been posting about like period pain or something. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. And that's the thing, like keep an eye on what they're, Mm. what they're posting. And if it looks like it's likely that they could post your product, yeah, like don't just send it to someone because they've got a bunch of followers. Oh God. Do you get that too? Like brands that just completely do not align with anything you post? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But I do. I honestly get a lot of, um, I actually get a lot of, um, like, female pleasure stores yep. like lots of yep. vibes yeah yeah um, had them in the inbox too. yeah mm-hmm. which is fine but again it's also like going back to the expectation of taking on every partnership mm. or posting every gifting your followers also get really sick of you if they just constantly see you posting gifted 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 100 you have to really mm-hmm. again be strategic about the content that you're putting out even if it's just on your stories like that it's a really authentic like everyday life so people can connect with that with your business and stuff yep. and, and not everything has to be like glamorous no. gifted gifted yeah like, people can't relate to that no right? but that's where I think like TikTok was really key yes for the like non-aesthetically pleasing yes like people just showing up with their like bed hair and they're in their pajamas and they're making a video and you're like that's me yeah like it's yeah I think that's what I prefer I prefer TikTok over Instagram, but I find myself on Instagram probably more, yeah. which is kind of weird. So how would you describe your brand? Like what is Cecilia Gurkovich brand oh to you? Um, I guess it's like a lifestyle kind of. Yeah. Like I don't I, – so I have been strategic in this. So when I first started my tick, my YouTube, sorry, I wanted to share my business stories because I wanted to – I had these conversations all the time about how I started different businesses and I wanted to share like what I knew because I thought this is valuable for people. And those videos are still out now. Yeah. When I started my TikTok, one of my first videos that really blew up was me making a gender reveal balloon yeah. in my balloon business. I think it had like 24 million views, whatever. Um, whatever. But I didn't want to be <laughs> the balloon girl. Like yeah. I didn't want to be just well, balloons. Okay, here's my question because mm-hmm. a lot of people will say with TikTok that it's like really hone in mm-hmm. And be niche. Like mm-hmm. if you if you love styling, your videos are just all get ready with yep. me. But you've managed, and this is what like I guess I'm figuring out with my own TikTok, I guess, um, is like wanting to be able to post all sorts of different things. Like I don't want to just be a yeah. music presenter. Like yeah. I want to post when mm-hmm. I'm unboxing an exciting handbag or yeah. I'm in my dressing gown or I'm going to an event or whatever. Mm-hmm. So how do you make the broad brand appeal on TikTok when you're always told to be niche, right? It, it probably doesn't appeal. That's that's the thing. I think I went into it knowing that if I do the same, if I just post balloon content, and this is I had in the back of my mind, I'm going to sell this business at some point. So I was like, I don't, and I could have been really strategic and just gone all in on balloons. I've got balloon courses. So I launched them through COVID, which did really well. Mm-hmm. And if I probably had gone all in on balloons and launched those courses, they probably would have done phenomenally because I would have had an audience that's really interested in balloons however the long term of it I would have got so bored just doing balloon stuff I was like I like TikTok because I could post things away from the business and it felt like I was separating that yeah and I think I I knew I didn't want to be a niche like I didn't want to go and for anyone listening that doesn't understand what a niche is like doing just balloons balloons would have been my niche like being very specific with what you're posting I wanted my niche to be me yeah and everything that I was doing and that isn't always the best option. And from a um, an analytics and engagement point of view, it's definitely challenging. Like there are times where my videos don't perform well. Like, yeah, I've got 1.5 million followers. That doesn't mean I'm getting 
over a million views on every video at all. Like there can be days where my videos are lucky to get to 10,000 views, but then the next one might. And I have been very like very aware not to focus on the numbers. Right. I've said that from the start. So and managing those expectations. Yeah. Important. Yeah. And I think, I think too, like it gives me the freedom to make this probably more sustainable the long, longish term than if I was to just niche down and be posting just baking videos or just balloon stuff. Like I, I know if I was doing that, I would then dread doing that. Mm. And so when you do brand partnerships and stuff, are they asking for like an engagement rate? Like what's, cause you know, like that's yeah. definitely a thing for Instagram. And I have lately have kind of been a bit caught up in like, oh, I'm not getting as many likes as what I used mm. to on, on a post or whatever. Yep. Like, so whenever, if I'm reaching out, like I've made my own media kit, which yep. needs to be updated, which is just like an overview of analytics, demographics, all that sort of thing. When I'm reaching out to a brand that I really want to work with, I will send them my analytics for the last 30 days. Yeah. Because I think at least that's a month's worth of content. And, and it's up to date. Yeah, it's up to date. It's real life. Like it's if they want to see individual video analytics, happy to show them. But like they can go to my profile. And like that's the beauty of it from a brand perspective is you can go to my TikToks and see, oh, she hasn't had that much. She's got 1.5 million followers, but she's not getting that many views. And that happens. Like yeah. But I, I love what I do. Like I genuinely love just creating silly little videos yeah. on the internet. And it is a bit of a head fuck though because sometimes I think, oh, wait, like what is the long term of this? Yeah. Can I do this Do you overthink term? it? I wouldn't say I overthink it. Uh, no, that is a lie. I definitely <laughs> over, overthink it. I think I get to a point where I'm like, well, what's your alternative? Leave and go back into the corporate world or go and find a job somewhere? No, this is great at the moment. Like this is so, so fun. I can earn great money. But the the, the key thing is, is I have the freedom to, with my time. Like I have, yeah, I think, and I think that's the thing. You never get time back. Mm. But then you do, I do overthink it in the sense of like, okay, what's the next, what's life going to look like in 10 years time? Mm. Then what? I get a corporate job yeah. if I want to. If, if that's, if I get to the point where I'm hating TikTok, I'm hating creating content, I'm not enjoying it anymore. I'll move on to the next thing. And I will easily cut those ties because I've done it before with my businesses. Like yeah. if something's not working, see ya. See Thank ya. You next. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Thank you next. Bitch. Yeah. When you first put yourself out there on socials, uh, I remember you doing it and definitely on the external it looked very fearless and confident, which mm. is amazing. I I remember when you did it and I thought back to when I did the Channel V presenter search. So like 2012, <sighs> yep. still living in Ballarat. I was really scared to put myself out there mm -hmm. like that, an audition, and it was like a public audition and then you have to like publicly campaign for yeah. yourself for people to vote and stuff. And thinking back to 2012 because it was literally the very start of Instagram. Yeah. So it, what, this wasn't a very common thing to mm -hmm. see, I suppose. Yeah. And being in a small town and um, also being like, you know, freshly turned 21, mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of immaturity and having that fear of judgment and people talking yes. about you. Have you felt that? Like when you started out, did you fear, um, were you self-conscious about what people would make of you, you know, putting mm. yourself out there like that? And how have you kind of navigated it? I'm glad you've asked because I think a lot of people would just think I'm very, very confident and that I just don't care. And there is an aspect of that. However, I think for me, COVID was, and I say this in like, like understanding that COVID was a horrible time for a lot of people. COVID for me was a blessing because for the first time in ages, I was able to just stop and be still and be like, what do I want to do? And I think also when I first started on YouTube and like, I think I, when I started on YouTube, I'd made seven videos before I announced it anywhere. I was like, I just want to test the waters, put it out. My other friend, I don't remember, Casey? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep. So we, she was stuck here. Kilmore. Yes, yep. yeah. She was stuck here during COVID and we both started YouTube at the same time. So it was just kind of like this fun thing that we just did together. Um, and she had a lot of success with it too. But when I started, I did my YouTube, created seven videos, then mentioned it on my Instagram. Then when I started TikTok, I was like, no one in Ballarat's going to see my stuff. Like a lot of people, and I did too, like I thought TikTok was for kids that could dance. Like yeah. that's literally <laughs> what I thought it was. And then when it started to grow, I was like, oh, okay, like I'll post. But my analytics, like majority of my following is American on my TikTok. Right. But on TikTok, you can, you can check your individual video analytics and a lot of it's seen by Australians. Okay. So I was like, 
no one knows, no one knows what I'm doing. Like until I started sharing. And I think on my TikTok, I mean, on my Instagram, I was sharing, as you said, about being transparent. I was sharing like the growth and stuff. I wasn't mm. sharing the videos. I though. loved the videos of you writing down like your YouTube followers yes. with the highlighters. <laughs> so soothing. Literally. <laughs> but I wasn't sharing like the videos I was making on TikTok. I wasn't posting on my Instagram. And I look back and I'm like, because to me, I was still like Instagram was like Ballarat people, yep. people that knew me here. And I was like, oh, that's a bit cringe. Like, don't. I was, I felt awkward. Like yeah. I felt like it's putting yourself out there. Whereas TikTok, I was like, no one's going to see this. Who cares? <laughs> it's your I, biggest platform. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about your 30s? So I like them. You like them? I think, I, I think, I think going into 30 people like your 30s are great. And I was like, oh, I don't feel 30. That's the thing. But I think this time of my life, I've got life experience behind me, which might sound really weird to anyone who's older, like you're 30. Yeah. But I feel like I did a lot in my 20s. Like I did a lot of I did a fair bit of travel. I had all these businesses. I learned from relationships and different things. And I think you go into 30 being a little bit more self-aware, but also like, yeah, I like it. I like 30s. Would recommend? Yeah, would recommend. (laughs) Thank you for jumping on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Solid chat. Yeah, God, I can't wait to listen to this back and be like, oh, why did you say If you want to stay connected with Celia, I'll pop her TikTok and Instagram links in the show notes of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was so fun to record. And a big thanks once again to Esme Skin Minerals for sponsoring today's episode. If you want to check out their huge range and secure your free and live online skin consultation, just hit the show notes of this episode and use my code Bridget20 for 20% off site-wide until June 20. Please note some exclusions apply and this code cannot be used in conjunction with other offers. I'm Bridget Husway. Thank you so much for listening to Figuring Out 30. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to rate, review, like, subscribe and share it with your friends. And this podcast has been created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'll catch you next week. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.